Thanks so much. It's great to be um, speaking to you tonight. And I just want to say thank you so much for your welcome, for your kindness to us as a family, for your prayers. We hugely appreciate your prayers. And we're so excited to be here in Oxford with you all. And we can't wait to get to know you. I want to speak tonight on Resurrection Hope. This is a time, a season, a moment actually, when I think we all need to experience a hope afresh the hope of the resurrection. As we step into all that is ahead of us, as we come out of lockdown, as things start to loosen up, how can we do that with hope in our hearts? And you'll have your own experience of how you've survived the last year with all that's been going on and the ups and the downs. And some of us, I imagine, have faced really tough moments in the last year, some difficult days. Yet, perhaps at the same time, you've experienced God at work even through those challenges. Just last January, Beth's mum, Sarah, one of the people I most admired in the world, and was dying of cancer. And I vividly remember, as she faced her death, there was this hope. And in in the midst of this great trial, the greatest trial of her life, she had this hope. And near the end, we had this call on FaceTime, and I'd just finished speaking at church. And... She was always so encouraging. She said, how, how did it go, Steve? How did it go? And I said, yeah, I, I, think, I think it went okay. I think it went well. And she said, did people become Christians? And I said, yes, yes, they did. And she just said, wonderful. And that was actually the last time Sarah and I ever spoke. She died just a few days later. What is it about resurrection hope that someone can be facing their own death and yet be joyful about people encountering Jesus? What is it about resurrection hope that means that you can delight in that even as you're about to die? How might that hope infuse all our days with greater purpose and joy. Well, the first thing we see in this passage is that the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our hope. This is still the first day Jesus rose from the dead. He's seen the women. He's then gone and, you know, hung out with the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And then he comes back while all the other disciples are still trying to work out what's going on and appears in the midst of them. Da-da! And, you know, it's a bit of a shock. They're startled. They're frightened because people don't usually appear in the midst of a room, particularly not when they died just a couple of days before. And Jesus says, why are you troubled? Why the doubts rise in your minds? He shows them himself. He's the living proof. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. And they still don't believe it. It says, for joy and amazement. It's almost too wonderful to be true. And then he eats a piece of fish, a piece of broiled fish. uh, And... Jesus is the foundation of resurrection hope. I used to work as a criminal barrister for a number of years. And in that time, I read thousands of witness statements, cross-examined hundreds of, hundreds of witnesses. And when I read these accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and particularly the accounts of his resurrection, when I read them, I thought, this is true. This actually happened. Like, this had the ring of truth about it. Like, what? Why why include they didn't believe it at first because of joy and amazement? Unless that's what happened, unless that's how they reacted. Why say it was broiled fish? Wasn't fried, wasn't roasted, wasn't baked, it was broiled. What's broiling? I don't know, chuck it on coals. It's like, why include that unless it happened? 
Why say that Jesus asked, why the doubts rise in your mind? Unless that is what Jesus said. It doesn't help you establish a narrative. It doesn't prove the case. It only is the sort of thing you mention if that's what happened. For the matter, why, for that matter, mention that Jesus appeared bodily in a room at all, in a body that could walk through walls and yet which could still eat food. In a body that was recognizable and yet completely different. Remade. Unless that's what happened. Because it's not going to be an easy thing to explain, let alone persuade first century Jews, let alone anyone else about. Why would you make that the cornerstone of your faith? Why would you make that the sure and certain anchor unless that's what you had? That's what happened. There's no reason to put these things in there unless they happened. I heard a story about a man who had a dog. And one night he let it out into his back garden, just have a bit of a run around. And uh, it came back a little while later, and to his horror, he realized it had between its jaws the neighbor's pet rabbit. And he was mortified, it was covered in mud and blood and everything. And he was like, what do I do? He's looking at this dog, and he knew that, that then his neighbors loved this rabbit, and he couldn't bear to go to them and say, look, my dog's eating your pet rabbit. And so he, he suddenly remembered, oh, they're away for the weekend. So he, he kind of, in a bit of a panic, he kind of managed to grab the rabbit out of the jaws. He ran upstairs to the shower, he shampooed it, he washed it down, he cleared all the dirt and rubbish off, then he got hair dry. He kind of hair dry, blow dried the rabbit, kind of got it all ready, ran back down to the garden, got over the fence, back into the hutch, put it into the hutch, puffed it up with straw. Okay, I think it's okay. Then went back over the fence into his house, thought, I think I've saved it. On the Monday morning, he was outside his house and he saw his next door neighbor. And he said, oh, how was your weekend? The next door neighbor said, do you know what? We, we had a pretty weird weekend, actually. He said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't know if you know, but um, Josie's pet rabbit died last week and um, we got the whole family together and we did like a little burial in the garden and um, and then we got back on Sunday night and I just went to grab something out of the garden and you're not going to believe this somehow that rabbit got out of the grave and was back in the hutch looking at us and we went and checked. It was still dead. But it was looking at us. And the guy's like... <laughs> He's thinking, my, my dog, my dog dug up. And the guy, the guy said, I, I just don't, I don't know how you explain something like that. It's such a weird world, isn't it? The guy's like, it's a really weird <laughs> world. I mean, it's a slightly tangential story, but I think it's just to say, you, know, you, you can't pretend that something has come back from the life when it's dead without it falling apart very, very quickly. It doesn't work. It, Jesus' resurrection wasn't a resuscitation. It wasn't a, I saw a light at the end of the tunnel and now I'm back. It wasn't anything like that. He was crucified. He was dead. He was buried. It was the third day and then he rose. The tomb was empty. He was present with people. On 11 occasions, to one occasion to more than 500 people, the disciples had no reason to invent a narrative and every reason to run and hide. Something happened that filled them with a hope so concrete that they were willing to face exclusion from their community, arrest, beatings, trial, imprisonment, torture, and even death with joy and hope because it was true. The Christian faith 
will help you live your life with purpose and joy and meaning, but it's not primarily good advice about how to live your life. Christian faith isn't good advice. It's good news about an event, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus wants the resurrection to be the bedrock of our hope. And then the resurrection hope frees you from fear. This is a time when the disciples were afraid. They were afraid because Jesus you know, hadn't done what they had expected. They hadn't quite realized how God's purposes lay behind the cross. That They were afraid of being hunted by religious authorities, still at risk of being rounded up as followers of Jesus. Probably, if you think about it, probably afraid a little bit about what they'd lost. Their lives, their hopes, their jobs, their friends, the people they'd left behind. What if it was all for nothing? They're probably afraid because Jesus keeps you know, pitching up in the midst of them and throwing their expectations. One of the features of this last year has been a growth in fear. And it's been quite tangible at points. I don't know if you've experienced that. Lots of emotions near the surface. A fear of the virus, a fear of getting sick, a fear of death, fear of loss of control over our lives, a fear that maybe we never were in control of our lives and we were just kidding ourselves, a fear of maybe the loss of opportunities in a relationship or a career or in something else. And maybe a fear that the world has changed and we're not sure how to navigate it anymore. And if this life is all there is, there isn't necessarily an antidote, an ultimate antidote to those fears. Just temporary stopgaps. I went to a wedding quite a few years ago, and I sat next to a very lovely person, and uh, she was in her early 30s, and I think she'd worked out somehow that I had some kind of faith. I don't know if I'd done some prayers or something. And so she really opened up to me, and she was saying, look, I had this, I didn't really enjoy my 20s. And I was like, oh, why was that? And, and she said, well, I, I, um, I was actually, the entirety of my 20s, I was gripped with fear that I, I was desperate to meet someone and I thought I'd, I'd never meet someone. And, um, and it just bothered me on like a daily basis. I had this like fear I wouldn't meet someone. And I, I, I feel like I wasted my 20s full of fear. And I said, oh, no, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, how, how is it now? And she said, yeah, well, you know, I, I met someone. And um, he's just over there. He's on another table. And, uh, and, and, I, and I said, oh, so has that helped? She said, no. And I said, oh, oh why not? And she said, well, now, now I'm, I'm just just worried he's going to die. He could die any day. And I said, I'm so, is, he, is he seriously ill? She said, no, he's fine. All of us could die any day. Like, any day you could die. Do you not realize? And I was like, oh, um, I, yeah, I guess you're right, actually. Um, and I said, what's that like? And she said, it's like being gripped by fear. I feel like fear is stealing my life. Just like over, you know, food at a wedding. And... Um, I said, well, that's really tough. I, you know, there's probably lots of things to talk about. Um, she says, well, how do you find it? And I said, well, I, I don't have the answer, but I, there's a verse in the Bible I find really helpful, which is, just says, perfect love casts out all fear. She's like, yes, that's what I need. What's perfect love? And I was like, well, you know, it's, it's like, um, I don't know. Well, I, I, guess, I guess for me, I've, I feel like I've experienced that in a relationship with God through Jesus because I think if I know that Jesus loves me and if, if he's gone through death and, and kind of stood face to face with death and conquered it and, and then his love for me is, is strong so that it means that it, it's harder for other fears to land. And we talked about that for a bit. 
You know, if Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, you can encounter him today afresh. You can experience that perfect love. An assurance, actually, that you don't have to get everything right. You don't have to live a so-called perfect life with no obstacles, no opposition, no dead ends, no detours, no confusions, no troubles, no suffering. Look at Jesus. He lived a perfect life, a life of stunning beauty and compassion. Guided by his father, his father pleased with him in every way. Didn't miss out on one thing his father desired for him. And yet, he faced great trouble and opposition and struggle and suffering. Look at Jesus. You see, even the events that seemed to oppose God's purposes ended up serving God's purposes. Even the wounds that seemed to be marks of shame. You know, I, I don't know if you find this interesting. I, have you ever wondered, you thought, well, he could have got some new hands and new feet. Like in the resurrection, like, like why, why didn't, why, why, his, his hands and his feet still bear the scars. Why? Because they weren't scars of shame. They're marks of glory. They're not removed by the resurrection. They're transformed by it. Because for all of eternity, billions of people are going to worship the lamb who was slain. Jesus, who is even more beautiful and glorious because of the cross, not despite it. Resurrection hope means that the most difficult things you've faced can be turned for good and for his glory. And that gives light when things all feel dark. Gives comfort when the world seems to be shaking. Gives trust when things don't turn out the way we hoped and longed. Resurrection hope gives you courage in the midst of fear. And then resurrection hope frees you to invest your life in what really matters. The disciples were locked in a room they're facing huge challenges. They've got very little prospect of success in earthly terms. They've got every conceivable obstacle you could possibly imagine. Hostile religious leaders, an aggressive empire. They're small in number. They're seemingly cut off from their teacher. They're still processing grief and loss. And Jesus stands in their midst and says, what is, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and die and rise from the dead. And on the third day, on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. So they're given a promise they'll be witnesses, that God's purposes will be fulfilled, and they get to play a glorious part in that. That what they were, they're told what they were going to do really mattered and would really make a difference to people's lives. But it wasn't necessarily going to look like earthly definitions of a good life or worldly success. You know, no career to speak of, probably not married. Within a few years, most have faced arrest or trial or imprisonment, even death. And yet 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles away, we remember them because of the way they bore witness to Jesus. Tim Keller helpfully identifies these two directions we're often drawn in in life, kind of almost like two opposing directions. One is the kind of you know, very spiritual direction, very focused on eternity. You know, this world is not my home. I know where I'm going. This world can't touch me. Frees us from the hold that material things sometimes have on us. And it kind of gives you an insulation from the shocks and sadnesses and bumps and disappointment of life. But it can kind of it draws away from the significance of the day-to-day. It gives us a measure of tranquility, 
but at the expense of the desire to really get involved in the kind of gritty work of transforming our communities and our city and our universities and our workplaces and our homes. Or we can be drawn to almost the other direction. It's like an over-attachment to the day-to-day of our lives. So that that becomes all that really matters to us. And we're entirely dependent on how our lives are going. And if we want to feel peace and join our lives, then life better go well. Because that's all there is. And actually that makes it even harder to find that peace and joy because you know, good things in our life, like our friendships or relationships or our careers, they can't quite bear the weight that we're putting on them. Look at Jesus. He stands before the disciples, having looked death in the face and defeated it. A living, the living embodiment of the truth that you know, the world can throw so much at you. And when you are resurrected, it's going to be more beautiful and glorious than you can possibly imagine. A glorious future that means one day the most difficult things in our lives are going to fade away like shadows at daybreak. And yet, he has the same body, the same scars, still eating. It matters. And what he tells the disciples is that the job he has them to do for him is so important, so significant, that they mustn't attempt to do it without being filled with power from on high. All our hopes don't depend on what we spend our lives doing. But what we spend our lives doing, we've been endowed with a, a hope and a significance beyond anything we could imagine. A hope which frees us to invest our lives in what we're called to do. Resurrection hope energizes earthly endeavor. Over the years, I worked as a criminal barrister. I represented lots of people um, and you know, for, for crimes and different things and accused of crimes, forgive me, and um, good days and there were hard days. I love my job, but it can be very easy in that world to, to at times become quite cynical. And some cases you really remember, and there was one um, case where I represented uh, a mum who was on her own with her kids and she'd made a mistake and so she was likely to go to prison unless the court showed um, really significant mercy to her. And it seemed to me it was going to be a tragedy for her. It was going to be a catastrophe for her children. And this case just really got to me. It wasn't the most significant case I did. It was actually quite small compared to most of the cases I did. It wasn't very interesting to most people. But for me, I just became filled with this desire to make a difference. And this, this, this hope that actually, if we could just get this case right, if we could get the right result, if we could persuade the judge to show some mercy, then this could make a significant difference to their lives. And I just, I just worked so hard on it. I became a little bit obsessed with it. I was just working away. I just wanted to do everything in my power to make sure we got a good result. He read everything, was ready. I remember on the day of the hearing when she was due to be sentenced, I was kind of there. I thought to myself, I'm going to stand up and I'm not, not going to sit down until I've persuaded this judge, even if it takes all the time. So I had every single argument I could possibly think of. And, you know, the opportunity came. I stood up, persuaded the judge, did a little, little. And um, after I've been going a certain while, I think the judge just interrupted me. It was like, Mr. Foster, I just want you to let you know that I'm, I'm not going to, send your client to prison. 
And it was like this wave of mercy came through the court. The client started weeping in the dock. I kind of sat down in my chair, just, just felt this kind of relief flood over me. And it was like a shaft of light in the midst of what could sometimes be quite a dark world. And I thought, oh, we made a difference today. And it was like seeing the hope of that manifested, uh, fed me and kept me going for weeks and months. It's still one of the most, my most precious possessions is the card she wrote me after the case. It's like hope, the hope of something shifting, the hope of making a difference actually energized me. And it kind of, it kind of blew away the cobwebs of cynicism that had come into my life. The cobwebs that things are always going to be the same. The things that, oh, I'm not going to be able to make a difference. The lies we tell ourselves sometimes, like, I can't make a difference in this world. It's too complicated. The forces at play are too large. The systems and infrastructures and institutions are too dominant. You know, is it even worth me giving a go? But hope comes into that context and it energizes something different. Filled with hope for all that is to come. The disciples know true resurrection hope because they've seen the risen Lord. They've heard his voice. They've touched him. They knew that even death couldn't stop him and so they didn't have to fear it. And that gave them an imperishable hope. They didn't just wait around for eternity. They were energized to invest their lives in the here and now, in the light of eternal priorities and with an eternal perspective. Why? Because the same spirit who raised Jesus from death to life was living in them, was in them. And if the spirit of the risen Jesus is in us, there's always hope. There's always another move. There's always another word. There's always another chance. And in our everyday lives, we have this extraordinary opportunity to plant seeds that will flower into eternity. So what I think why Martin Luther purported to have said, if I knew the world was ending tomorrow, I'd plant a tree today. You're like, why? Why, Martin? It's like, well, you know, imagine what the resurrection will do to that tree. It's going to dance. It's going to be amazing, you know. So you can sow in your workplaces, your schools, your universities. Make an impact. Speak a word. Invest your skills, your gifts. Invite someone to church. Invite someone an Alpha has just heard about. Take a step out. Offer to pray for someone. Knowing that nothing is wasted that there's always hope and that that resurrection hope that we need is with you because he is with you. Amen. Would you like to stand and we're going to pray. I just want to encourage you, if you're up for doing this, you don't have to do this, but if you're up for doing this, maybe, maybe you'd like to close your eyes and just fix your thoughts on Jesus. Maybe, if you're happy, maybe you just want to hold out your hands like this, just as a sign if you'd like to receive something from God tonight. I'm just going to pray one of the oldest prayers of the church. It goes back centuries. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Lord, we invite you. Lord, you know every person in this room. You know what we're facing. Lord, would you fill us 
afresh with resurrection hope tonight by your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. The verse in Revelation, I had, just as we were worshiping, had the sense this, this might be a word for you tonight. But the Lord Jesus might say to you, remember the love for me you had at first. Remember the love for me you had at first. And I feel like that, that you being filled with hope afresh tonight. It's like that, that restoring of hope is going to rekindle love in you. Remember the love for me you had at first.